Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. And welcome to Overnight America. It's a chilly night. It's one of those nights where you keep rubbing your hands together and you think, oh man, I miss any season besides winter. Rich Rubino is joining us in about 10 minutes, and he is so good at breaking down what goes on in the world today. And I had a wild, wild political question that came up last week, which we're going to ask. It involves Trump and Pence and Pelosi. Oh, my. So I messaged him about that, and he thought, wow, that is a first. And if you want to go down a weird, wild thought exercise when it comes to politics, you're not going to want to miss that. Also, Philip Goodrich is joining us, a physician and an author uh, that is a historian and talks about the inauguration coming up this week and some previous stories of inauguration. So I wanted to first start with the story, which you heard on KMOX, and it's one that other news sites and organizations are starting to post. And I look at this and I realize just how cold and terrible the city of St. Louis can be in so many different ways. And this one is in a county, but it's not unique to the county. In fact, this is probably something that happens all too often in a city where a homicide investigation is underway. I think it's in Spanish Lake where they found a mom dead in a parked car, baby inside. And it's just so heartbreaking when these headlines pop up and all it is is a bunch of words on a screen. And then tomorrow, no one will ever think about it again. And I thought, wow, remember the days when you would talk to a police officer or a detective or a captain, and they would talk about some of the worst crimes they experienced. And I thought, man, this is the type of thing that at their retirement, they'd bring up how terrifying it was to find the mom in the car and the infant inside waiting. And they get to the infant in time to get the baby to the hospital. And luckily the baby is all right, uninjured. This is the type of thing that they would say, wow, that one really haunted me. But this is a multi-year occurrence in the area. It's not just, oh, it happens once in a career. This happens all the time. Uh, these type of crimes, I should say. And it's terrible. And even though we have a huge crime problem in the city, the crime problem in the county is not immune to it being in uh, right next door. How many times have we seen this? It's sad. 
And we keep thinking about, oh, a merger, a merger is going to solve everything. And people are rehashing this on social media and they're talking about how wonderful it would be if the city and county would just get back together and we could we can uh, hug and make up and oh, what a wonderful utopia we would live in. And then we look at all the crime that continues to happen outside of the city. It's nothing to look at and say, well, the, the county can't save the city because the county's got its own problems. And it's got its its own issues that it needs to work through. And there's issues everywhere. It's so sad to see this story and think to myself, I wonder if they'll ever solve this one. I hope they do. I hope they figure out who it is. I hope we find out that person's name. And I hope we find out why. And I hope that person is prosecuted to the fullest extent and not given any special treatments. I'm sick of seeing these things come out of the circuit attorney's office or, you know, uh, Wesley Bell's office in the county or anything like that, where we find sympathy. Um, I'm, stuff like this, zero sympathy. It, it makes me just disgusted. But the problem is it's only January. We're going to see more of these this year. And we're just going to see headlines where we become numb to them because it's happened so many times over and over and over again. At last check, this is from yesterday in the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department. So this is looking at the city. 11 homicides so far logged in 2021. 11 homicides. And that's not counting today. I mean, that was just the last update yesterday. So if we were to go back and just try to look at the crime in the past couple of years, in 2019, we had 18 homicides in January. In 2018, we had 18 homicides in January. Uh, if we go back even further to 2017 and 16, we had 15 homicides in 2017 in the month of January. 2016, also 15 homicides. If you go back a couple more years to the 15th and 14th, 16 homicides in 2015, 14 homicides in 2014. That is in the city of St. Louis alone. And what we're seeing is that we're trending exactly the way we have in the past. We're not dropping we're not getting any better. We come off a year, a record high for homicides with 50, uh, the excuse me, the last 50 years, the highest it's been. And we're looking at all of the different indicators and nothing's getting better. This is the top problem in the city that somehow, somehow is evaded when it comes to outrage over and over and over again. This has to be the number one thing that we address if we're going to move forward. There's nothing more important in this area. Nothing. And every time we see a headline like this, it shouldn't just be a reminder that it's a problem. It should be a reminder that we haven't solved the problem and it is still a problem. It's just enough to make you cry if you see stories like this. <sighs> well, I'm going to hook up with Rich Rubino right after the break. He's the author of American Politics on the Rocks. And with the inauguration this week, there's a lot of other things going on. I saw that Grover Cleveland was trending on Twitter, the former president. Why was Grover Cleveland trending? And what does it have to do with Donald Trump? He's got that answer, too. Coming up on Overnight America, KMOX. And he's the author of American Politics on the Rocks. Also, you can find his work on politic-geek.com. Rich Rubino, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Ryan? Doing good. It's another wild week. Every week's a oh, wild yes. week. Not as wild as the last time we spoke, but still a wild week nonetheless. Well, the, week is, it, the week is young. 
I know the week is young. <laughs> uh, you know, last week on Thursday, we had someone call in and he said, what if this happens? And I thought, what? This may be the wildest political scenario I have ever heard in my life. And I had to Whoa. immediately message you on Facebook. Yeah, I was so good. Uh, I was so crazed at looking at this thing. So let me um, reiterate what the political theory was. So the person said, what if Donald Trump decides to resign? That would mean Mike Pence would then take the office of the presidency. Mike Pence could then pardon Donald Trump. And before there is a successor named Pence could also resign which would then propel Nancy Pelosi into the White House. And there's a couple of reasons why you'd want to do that. One, she would have to give up her role as the uh, Speaker of the House, and then she would then vacate that to become president for a day. And then when her term ends as presidency, she would be out of politics because she would be out of that White House office. And someone said that would be a great way to get get her out, (laughs) Trump pardon, and what a wild, wild progression that would be. And I thought, wow. That is quite the mental gymnastics. So I had to message you, and I thought, is that even possible? Okay, so here's just a little mass apprehension thing. So essentially what happens if a vice, so under the 25th Amendment, if a vice president, if a president resigns, or a president is impeached and convicted, or or a president is disabled, a president dies, whatever happens, the vice president assumes the presidency. So the vice president becomes president even before he's inaugurated. You know, you see that, you see that we all see Lyndon Johnson in the plane being inaugurated as president, but that was really just for show. He technically, he was already president, and any decision would essentially come to him. So the president assumes the assumes so the vice president assumes the vice the presidency, meaning there is no vice president. There is no vice president until a Senate confirms another one. Now, with Mike Pence, if Mike Pence then resigns, it's true the Speaker of the House would assume the would automatically assume the presidency. Now, here's the thing: so Nancy Pelosi is a member of the United States House of Representatives, representing the 12th district, congressional district of California, basically San Francisco. So. Theoretically, a member of the House of Representatives could not also be president because you cannot serve in two you cannot serve in two in two different branches, the executive and the legislative. So Nancy Pelosi would assume the presidency, but she, to do that, she would have to resign her congressional seat. So if she resigns her congressional seat, even if it's just for one day, then what happens is the seat is vacated. And then Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, would have to declare a special election, unlike the United States Senate and the Senate. Like we just saw with Senator Harris, Senator Harris resigned today. Um, governor Newsom appointed a replacement in the House. The, the governor does not have that power. The governor is not omnipotent in that respect. So the governor instead declares a special election. So essentially, the seat would be. So let's say let's say Mike Pence and Trump both resign today. Pelosi becomes president. So. She's no longer a member of the United States Congress. Unless she decides she does not want to be president, wants to stay in the House, then it would go to the Senate pro temp. In this case, that would be Chuck Grassley, the um, senator from Iowa, who's 89 years old, who may not want to resign his seat. So then it would go to the cabinet. And then theoretically, it would go down to um, the secretary of state taking over. But let me get back to this. So the mental gymnastics here. So (laughs) Pelosi gives up her seat for one day, then the special election, she runs in that election, and she'd be a shoo-in, and essentially you'd have a former president um, running for a congressional seat and being, and being re-elected to that congressional seat. Now the question is, well, does that mean, okay, well, in the meantime, she has to give up her role as speaker, right? And there, that, no. Well, there'd be an interim speaker for a day, essentially probably Steny Hoyer from Maryland, but you've got to remember the Constitution, there is nothing in the Constitution, no stipulation that says that a Speaker of the House has to be a member of the body. 
So you see this sometimes when when Nancy Pelosi is up for re-election as speaker, sometimes there'll be a conservative Democrat that will vote for somebody else. Jim Cooper from Tennessee, for example, voted for Colin Powell. Colin Powell has never been a member of the House, but theoretically, if Colin Powell got the requisite 218 votes, he could become Speaker of the House. You don't have to be a member. So what would happen is after Joe Biden becomes president on the 20th, the House would then convene and they would have another election for the Speaker. And Nancy Pelosi could then serve as Speaker of the House while not being a member of the body, <laughs> while also running for re-election to her seat, which she'd be a shoe in for. So then when she became when she became a member of the body again, she would just be it would just be a, she would then have the um, she would then have the duties of being a congressman from San, woman from San Francisco, but also Speaker of the House. But here's the other thing. So if she does resign, my question is, does that mean what happens to her staff? What happens mm. to a congressional staff? Now, if you're in executive branch, executive branch, executive functions have to be filled immediately. That's why you have an acting somebody. The Secretary of State resigns today. The acting Secretary of State immediately assumes that assumes those duties. And the, in the legislative branch, it's a little bit different because you see this all the time. A legislate, a congressman will die. A congressman, you, for example, Cedric Richmond is taking going to take a job in the administration from New Orleans of the Joe Biden administration. So essentially, for a few months, the seat is going to be open. The governor of Louisiana declares a, declares a special election. And in the meantime, all of this constituent service stuff, all that goes usually to the House clerk. Sometimes members of the staff will stay on. So my question is, it, can the members of the staff then you know, essentially serve in the legislative branch when there's no congresswoman who's now in the executive branch? My guess is they, they probably could. But So the answer is it's unrealistic. <laughs> it's like a Twilight it Zone. Do you want me to repeat that? Yeah, it would, <laughs> it would make back. for a great episode or of uh, some sort of television show or miniseries or better yet, a uh, book. I love the premise, the idea that someone thought of that, number one. And it's fascinating, too, because I didn't realize if you are a member of Congress. So if let's just say hypothetically, Mike uh, Donald Trump steps down. Could Mike Pence officially say, no, I don't want to be the president? Could he decline that? He could resign it. Um, he could resign he, I mean, before he becomes it. Well, he no, he automatically becomes it because the twenty okay. under the so prior to twenty fifth amendment, when so prior we so when Lyndon Johnson assumed the presidency in nineteen sixty three, there was no vice president. So mm. that day, actually, the day Lyndon Johnson assumed, actually, I guess it would be the next day he assumed his the assumed the presidency. He was coming back from Texas. He went to his home in Virginia, and a Secret Service agent was not expecting him. So the Secret Service agent went up with a gun, thinking it was an intruder, put the gun to his face, and then found out it was Lyndon Johnson. Oh. Now, if that was if that if Lyndon Johnson that day had actually been assassinated, and it was this close to that actually happening, remember this is the day, the night of the day that Kennedy was assassinated. Essentially, John McCormick at the time there was no vice president, so John McCormick, who was seventy-two years old, uh, would have become president of the United States if he declined it. Carl Hayden, the senator from Arizona, the Senate pro tempore, who was 86 years old, would have assumed the presidency. But you essentially you do assume the vice president will assume the presidency. Now, he can immediately, as soon as he does that, he can sign. What you do is you sign a letter to the, to the secretary of state. It's the only time a president's ever resigned, Richard Nixon. He signed his letter to secretary of state, Henry Kissinger, saying that he resigned. So, but, the, but during that, I guess during that interim, if there was an attack or something like that, and during before he resigned, Mike Pence would be the person who would be responsible for the nuclear codes. 
<laughs> wow. All right. This is uh, wild. And I love wild thoughts like that, mostly because it's you wonder you wonder if a it's even possible and b what would happen if something like that were to go down. But think think of it this way, too. I guess if the person was kind of rooting that on, then you have Speaker of the House Pelosi with all of the intel briefings the president of the United States would receive. So now you have even more power to Pelosi if, if the idea was to try to to try to, like, get rid of her if this was the giant plot. Oh, no, it wouldn't work. She'd come back stronger. So well, the other thing, uh, too, yeah. I'm just going to say, you got to remember, if Nancy Pelosi, and this would be, this is not going to happen, but if Nancy Pelosi does say she becomes president, she says, you know what, I don't want to be speaker anymore. I don't want to serve in my seat. What happens? Steny Hoyer, um, the Senate, the House Majority Leader, who is very close to Pelosi ideolog- ideologically, he would essentially become speaker and have essentially the same policies. Wow. Rich Rubino joining us, American Politics on the Rocks is the name of his book. You can look up online at politi-geek.com. And I saw on Twitter today, Grover Cleveland was trending. And his name was on the list when President Trump put this, um, I don't know if it was a declaration or a, uh, he put something together. It was the National Garden of American Heroes. And the idea is to set up a National Garden and there would be these statues. And he had a recommendation list. It was like close to 250 names, Grover Cleveland being one of them. And people started talking about Grover Cleveland. Why would he include Grover Cleveland? Why is that name on there? Because, I mean, you look at some of the other names on the list, and I can just, I can look at it like George Washington's on there, and, you know, Alexander Graham Bell. Yeah, Taft is on there. Louis Armstrong, Neil Armstrong, Muhammad Ali, Ulysses S. Grant, Walt Disney, Truman's on there, Norman Schwarzkopf. I mean, there's a a ton of people that are on this list, and it's wide-ranging. It's, you know, it's politicians, it's uh, authors, it's civil rights leaders, abolitionists. It's, I mean, a whole gambit of people that you can think of that had influence on American history. So people were wondering, why would he put Grover Cleveland on there? And they had an answer to it. They think it's because he may try to run for re-election. Yes. Snooki didn't get in there, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, what ha- so the reason Grover Cleveland is significant is so there have been three presidents who were incumbents who lost re-election, then tried to, re- then tried to come back. Millard Fillmore was elected. He was actually elected as vice president with uh, Zachary Taylor in 1848. Zachary Taylor dies in 1850. Fillmore assumes the presidency, loses re-election in 1852, tries to come back. Um, he had been a Whig in 1856 with the party basically dissolving. He runs again with the so-called American Party or the Know-Nothing Party, the anti-immigrant party, runs for president, wins 23 percent, wins one state, the state of Maryland, um, and then and, but, but, and wins only the state of Maryland. By the way, prior to that, Millard, uh, Martin Van Buren, who lost re-election in 1840, came back as a Democrat, came, left the Democratic Party over slavery. He was basically an abolitionist. The Democratic Party was not. 1848, he runs the Free Soil Party, garners about 10.1 percent of the vote, loses the election. By the way, his vice presidential running mate, was John Quincy Adams' son. Uh-huh. And John Quincy Adams' son was also the person who established the first presidential library in 1870 for his father, John Adams. Oh, John Quincy Adams. Yeah. So, in 18, so it does work out for Grover Cleveland. Grover Cleveland runs for re-election. So he gets elected, by the way, in 1884, runs for re-election in 1888, loses to Benjamin Harrison, but actually wins the popular vote. But Benjamin Harrison wins the, um, wins the Electoral College. The day that the Clevelands are leaving, uh, Francis Folsom Cleveland tells the staff, keep the place nice for us because we'll be back in four years. 
Now, it was a mm-hmm. humiliating day, humiliating day, ignominious day for Grover Cleveland because it's raining for Benjamin Harrison's inauguration. Grover Cleveland literally has to stand up there and hold the umbrella um, protecting Benjamin Harrison, the person who had beaten him from the rain. So oh, wow. what happens? In 1892, Grover Cleveland, he, gets, he has some grievances against Benjamin Harrison, um, in part because Grover Cleveland was, unlike Donald Trump, he was a free trader. Harrison was actually close to Trump because Harrison was an economic nationalist, and Harrison had signed the McKinley tariff. He had signed other tariffs, and Cleveland finds a causes Bellay to run himself again in 1892. He has a challenge that year from David Hill. David Hill was actually his lieutenant governor when he was governor, and when Grover Cleveland assumed the presidency, um, he, the, this is the person who was kind of his protege, assumed the governorship, um, assumed the governorship after um, Grover Cleveland's. They were allies, and they had a falling out. They ran against each other, so Cleveland did not have a free did not have free sailing. But he won that nomination. He beat David Hill, and then landed up beating Benjamin Harrison uh, in the presidential election, which turned out to be an absolutely awful term for him. By the way, there was a panic of 1893, Great Depression. Huge unemployment. Grover Cleveland becomes extremely unpopular, does not run again in 1896. The party shifts to William Jennings Bryan. Cleveland had been a very conservative Democrat. William Jennings Bryan becomes the uh, presidential nominee in, in 1896. And Grover Cleveland does not even endorse him. Instead, he endorses John M. Palmer, a 79-year-old senator from Illinois, who's the, who's the nominee of the so-called National Democratic Party, which only lasted for two elections. You know, I'm starting to realize that Rocky may have been based loosely on Grover Cleveland. First he loses, then he makes his way back in a rematch. So could it oh, be yes. possible that's where they get that storyline? <laughs> Probably well, there, not. It's, it's interesting because you talk about McKinley. There are some people, and it's, it's actually been somewhat debunked as mendacious, but they thought that the um, Wizard of Oz was based on uh, the 1896 presidential election between McKinley and Bryan, but there really has not been much evidence for that. I love things like that. So that's the connection to Grover Cleveland. Possibly, maybe. I think some people are looking into it that way. Uh, I kind of like the idea that this is a side storyline, but I also don't like the idea that people are trying to decode things like this because that's how we get like QAnon stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like essentially. Yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> do you mind holding on after the break? I'd love to talk sure. to you more about the transition and also the inauguration, which is coming up, but uh, impeachment, the possibility of that. So uh, Richard Bino joins us. American politics on the rocks. Plita-geek.com is where you can find him online. And Rich, by the way, if people wanted to look for you on social media, what's the best place to go and what should they search? Yep, either go to Twitter and type in Rich Rubino, P-O-L, or just go to Facebook and type in Rich Rubino, R-U-B-I-N-O. Perfect. And we'll continue with Rich next on Overnight America, KMOX. Welcome back to Overnight America. We're going to see a transition of power on Wednesday when Joe Biden is inaugurated, becoming the 46th president of the United States. Joining us now is Rich Rubino, author of American Politics on the Rocks, polita-geek.com. Rich, I tell you, this is one of the most popular segments we have all week. People love you. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. (laughs) You have lots of fans here in St. Louis. So with that, there's going to be a transition. What exactly goes down on Wednesday? Do you know? Uh, I think there's actually going to be inauguration. Um, (laughs) My understanding is, at least this is what I've heard. It's been below the fold, so I haven't heard that much. There hasn't been that much coverage of it. My understanding is 
that Joe Biden is going to be inaugurated as the next president, but I'm going to have to look a little bit further in to find that out. Yeah, no, so I'm, does uh, Donald Trump wake up and he puts on his shoes and he says, well, I uh, see you later, White House, and uh, says goodbye and that's it? Or does he actually get some business done? Uh, theoretically, there's pro- there, theoretically, presidents have actually done things in the last day in office. In Bill Clinton's case, back in 2001, he actually, the president at the time, delivered a radio address, so he delivered our national ra- his national radio address, um, and then he actually denounced it because he had said during, he had said at the high water, low water mark for him of the impeachment that he was going to work to the last day, uh, the last hour in, the, uh, in his office. So he, as a result, he signed a he signed an order providing 100 million dollars um, in um, for 100 million dollars to local police forces to say that he was essentially doing that. Um, other things, you know, the Department of Labor was established the last day of the administration of uh, William Howard Taft, for example. Lots of times you have pardons that occur on the last day in office. In, uh, in Bill Clinton's case, you had Susan McDougal, the uh, Whitewater partner. That was supposed to be this huge controversy, but then it landed up kind of being submerged in the other pardon of, um, of Mark Rich. Uh, some presidents can actually have cabinet meetings in Andrew Johnson's case back in 1869. He did not like Ulysses S. Grant. Ulysses S. Grant did not like him. Uh, Grant had actually had actually advocated for Johnson's impeachment for violating the Tenure of Office Act. So Johnson literally, instead of going to the inauguration, stayed in and had a cabinet meeting, which was kind of pointless because the cabinet couldn't really give him much recommendation because he wouldn't be president after that. But, um, so that's one thing that happens on the last day. Usually, what happens is they have a is that the president and the the incoming president. And the outgoing president get together. They have tea, and then they drive over um, to the they drive over to the Capitol for the swearing in. The last time they did not have tea was 1953. Eisenhower and Truman they had a um, very contentious relationship in part because Truman was very good friends with George Marshall, the Secretary of State, um, author of the so-called Marshall Plan. And Dwight Eisenhower did not condemn uh, Joseph McCarthy, the senator from Wisconsin, when McCarthy made the recommendation that Marshall might somehow be in coordination with the communists. So they had a very, very poor relation. So Eisenhower literally sat in the car while the Trumans, um, while the Trumans uh, had, had tea with Mamie Eisenhower. Then they went out, went into the car, and then during the car ride, uh, Eisenhower started talking to Truman about the fact that he that Truman had ordered uh, him in an order that Eisenhower's son David Eisenhower be uh, Eisenhower's son be um, be allowed to stay in the United States and come home to watch his president's inauguration. Eisenhower said, "Well, isn't this going to make isn't this aren't people going to look at this and say that I have some sort of favoritism?" Then Truman said, "Oh, they did. You just say that the president of the United States had made this order." So he was literally speaking himself in the third person. So he had a very contentious relationship. But, of course, later in life, they actually had a better relationship. Probably the one who was most active, though, was Jimmy Carter, 1981. Um, you had the Iran hostage crisis, and tr- he was in the last days working with Warren, Warren Christopher to, to negotiate the Alders Accord. I said the United States agreed not to interfere in Iranian affairs. In return, the Iranians agreed to release the 52 hostages, but they didn't do it officially until Jimmy Carter was no longer president. Ronald Reagan became president, and then Ronald Reagan actually sent Jimmy Carter on airplanes so he could go over and he could literally greet the hostages. That was probably the most active person on the last day of office. Wow. And I'm just trying to look at the gaps in time, and it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around. When you said Bill Clinton in 2001, you think of Bill Clinton as a strictly 90s type of president, but you forget because of the term ending in 2001, he served after 2000. So technically speaking, that would be like 
the distance between us and Bill Clinton's last day in office is like Bill Clinton's last day in office and Jimmy Carter's last day in office, who Jimmy Carter is still alive. It's amazing if you think that's the type of time gap we're dealing with. And it seems like it just happened yesterday, you know, and, you know, 2000 seems like it just happened yesterday. But it's a big distance of time that have changed between then and now. Um, Just I don't know why I'm trying to wrap my head around that. It just doesn't seem right. But somehow it it is. is. it is. It's, it's, absolutely, it's absolutely. And think Jimmy Carter was somebody who worked under Admiral Rickover when he was in the Navy. Oh, man. Jimmy Carter. Um, man, he, I, it's hard to believe he's been retired for 40 years. <laughs> That's hard to believe, too. So I wanted to talk about uh, second impeachment. And I think there's some question of what happens if they actually hand the articles over. Some people wondered if, uh, you know, and there's even a plea. I think James Comey said, hey, uh, Joe Biden, you should consider pardoning Donald Trump to show that this is all done and over and we got more important things to do. And there's some other questions about impeachment after a person is out of office. And one of the interesting questions is, can impeachment apply to a private citizen after they're out of office? Now, there is some precedent to it, but there also could be a scenario where the Supreme Court justices or uh, Justice Roberts, I should say, could look at that and say, well, that was wrong. So maybe I won't preside over this. So I'm curious what you think could be happening here after Trump leaves office and what they'll do with those articles of impeachment. Yeah, theoretically, there is precedent for it. Uh, Secretary Belknap during the Grant administration he was essentially, there was pretty much razor-tight item evidence that he'd accepted that he had been involved in bribery. So he literally, he was Secretary of the War at the time, which later became Secretary of Defense. He resigned in office. Uh, the Senate, said, the House said, no, we're still going to impeach you. So they still impeached him. Then it went to the Senate, and the Senate did not get the requisite two-thirds to convict him. Now, the, the senators who voted, um, who, who voted against conviction, a lot of them said that they believed he was guilty, but they did not believe it was constitutionally permissible to convict somebody who is no longer um, on the government payroll, who is no longer in office. So there certainly is a constitutional question here. It's really never been tried. Um, that's really the only precedent. I know that when Bill Clinton was, in, was the, when Bill Clinton pardoned Mark Ritz, who's aforementioned, Arlen Specter, the senator from Pennsylvania, suggested that it was an option that perhaps they could then have impeachment trial, impeachment, and then a potential conviction. Based on that, um, this was in February of 2001 when it, when there was really kind of an imbroglio affecting Bill Clinton. Um, it never really went anywhere. So the answer is we really don't know, and certainly that will be a constitutional question, and certainly uh, constitutional scholars um, from around the country are certainly going to have a confabulation about it. So is it possible that Chief Justice Roberts decides just not to preside over it? He says, no, I don't think so. Uh, my guess, yeah, I guess, he, I mean, theoretically, you can't force him to preside. Um, my guess is if that did not happen, I would assume, I don't know who it would go to. I don't know if it would go to another justice or if a Senate pro tem would preside, but that certainly would not make, because the chief justice wouldn't preside over it, that does not mean that the trial would not certainly uh, continue. And then, if, by the way, if the, the, if the trial, if they did, do get the requisite two-thirds, meaning that there would be every Democrat plus 17 Republicans then they could do a majority vote, and in the majority, and when an outright majority, that would say that the president could no longer run for any federal office, meaning that he could not run in 2024 or any any future uh, presidential plan. So that's really, I think, what they would potentially be potentially be getting at. Now, if if if, Rich, if Donald Trump were to be pardoned by Joe Biden, I mean, certainly there's precedent for the last the precedent most people are probably thinking of is when Ford and 70. 
in 74, pardon Richard Nixon, uh, remember Gerald Ford had a 70% job approval rating. The day he, the day he before he announced Richard Nixon's job, Richard Nixon's pardon, the next day it was down to 48%. He never quite recovered. At one point in the summer of 1976, he was literally down by 36 points to Jimmy Carter. He later came back and only lost by about a point, but that would really hurt him politically, a lot of damage specifically with the liberal base of the Democratic Party if he were to do that. I mean, I think the argument he would make would be the same make, make that, argument that Ford made. Ford said that essentially 25% of my time was based on one man, whereas I have to deal with, you know, inflation, I have to deal with um, the oil crisis, I have to deal with, I'd have to deal with getting out of Vietnam, everything else. In, uh, in, in Biden's case, I think that would really hurt him politically, and I can't imagine that scenario. I think could happen. I think it is likely that Joe Biden will find himself one term is enough if that even happens. So I think that there's a pretty strong case that people look at Kamala Harris as somehow maybe even through the first term or maybe in between Joe Biden deciding not to run for reelection. This would set her up. So I think those are two likely things. And if that case, it's a mute point for Joe Biden. He could take the hit if that's what he really wants to do. It's not really about poll numbers at that point. And then with having the support in the House, in the Senate that he has, there's no way that um, there's still not going to be so much infighting unless they completely reject him doing something like that. But let me offer this scenario. And I don't know if this is even a thing since it's not like, it's like a trial, but it's not a trial. The impeachment Um, could Donald Trump sue to stop the impeachment trial. Like, could he go through the courts in order to prevent that from happening? I think that he probably, yeah. And I think he probably certainly would do that because this has never really been tried in the Supreme Court, and it's only that one precedent that I can think of, and that was 1876. So certainly it's something that he would certainly try to um, argue, um, you know, while yeah. he's working on his library and everything else. But um, my guess is that, it would, they would, is that the Senate would, is that it was something that would still, um, that is still going to occur, that the, the House would just, the House certainly had voted for an impeachment. I mean, this is something very interesting too. The House voted for impeachment without literally going through the Judiciary Committee. They just, I guess, have a, you have a discharge petition. It just goes right to the House, and all 20, 222 Democrats plus ten Republicans uh, vote for it. And um, even if it does go to the Senate, you know, will they get the potential seventeen Republicans to actually vote for and for the conviction of Donald Trump? How is it to their political benefit, to their political advantage? So it could just be that he figures, you know what, go to the Senate and then and then knock out the two thirds, and then go around the country saying, you know, I was vindicated, and then run in twenty twenty four and say that this was a sham election, something to that effect. But um, that certainly is one is one legal uh, avenue he could pursue. Wow, this is just all so much that goes on. And what is the punishment if you're out of office? And let's just say, hypothetically, there wasn't enough votes to get the two thirds and the Senate decides on the impeachment. Then what goes on? Like what what punishment would there be for the president? Well, the only the only punishment would be um, I mean, obviously, he'd already be out of office. The only punishment would be the second vote, the requisite second vote. So someone would essentially put would put in the would put up a a resolution in the United States Senate saying that. Now saying that saying that Donald Trump should no longer be allowed to serve in political office, and that would just need the requisite 50 votes, which it certainly would get, and that would mean that he could not run in 2024, or he could not run in the future. So that's basically all that you could get out of um, the possible uh, conviction. So if there is a conviction, is the only way to do that vote is if there's a conviction. So let's say they decide not to convict, would they still be able to go back 
and decide on the second side of it? Or do you have to have a conviction in order to yeah. prevent someone from running for office again? My understanding is you absolutely you have to have a conviction. Okay. Wow. So what a wild time. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. I had some other, um, we were talking about this before and someone said, do you really want to hold up all of the cabinet positions? And do you want to hold up more stimulus talk? And do you want to hold up coronavirus? Do you want to hold up this and that? And we look at all the other things that are so important right now. If they're going to hand this over and try to start a trial and all of these other things. Wow. There's all this other pressing things. That's why it would make sense for someone like Joe Biden to go in and decide, okay, we're just going to pardon this. Otherwise, could they just hold on to the article forever? Uh, I, I guess theoretically, I mean, I know Jim Clyburn, the senator, the congressman from South Carolina, has suggested that potentially wait 100 days and then um, bring it up in the Senate at that time. Because, you know, that's one thing that's very important when a party's a hegemonic. They, you know, essentially, can they control the apparatus? So the Senate majority leader will be Chuck Schumer, not Mitch McConnell, so as a result, you know, Chuck Schumer could certainly scuttle it and say, we're going to, you know, table it. We're going to put it up at a different time. So hypothetically, that article of impeachment could just sit there on the shelf and they can pull it years from now if they wanted to. Theoretically, yeah, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. I guess I guess they could do that. Yeah, I guess if they wanted to um, just kind of hold it over him. Um, you know, there has been there have been examples. When, you know, one thing I do know, Andrew Jackson he was censored, not impeached or convicted, but he was censored. But then later on, when his party took over, that censor was essentially expunged. So, um, but I don't think you can actually expunge a conviction. Wow, what a wild time. So, wow, this time just went by so fast. <laughs> now we're going to have the inauguration on Wednesday, and who knows what happens between now and then. I guess by this time next week, when we hook back up, we'll be talking about the first days in office of Joe Biden. And I'm sure that'll be interesting to look back at the first days in office of other past presidents. So, Rich Rubino, again, if people wanted to look you up online, where can they find you? Yep, just go to Facebook, Rich Rubino, R-U-B-I-N-O, go to www.polita-geek.com, or go to Twitter and type in Rich Rubino, P-O-L. So good, Rich Rubino. Uh, thank you again for coming on. I love these segments, and I know our listeners love them, too. I really appreciate it. Have a great week. Absolutely. Thank you. You do as well. Richard Bino, he joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line on Overnight America KMOX. Now back to Overnight America on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com Rich Rubino is so good, isn't he? I, I mean, I just think he is so great, and he does such an awesome job laying out the different uh, scenarios of what could happen. He's got such a great background when it comes to just any question I throw at him, for some reason he's got either an answer or the best educated answer you can get. But there's so many legal questions that are swirling around all of this. If anything will happen, I don't know if they're going to turn it over. Are they just going to put it on a shelf? What are they going to do? So if you think there should be something done or whatnot, maybe we'll talk about it later in the show. Philip Goodrich is going to join us in about... 10, 15 minutes from now. He's a historian. He's also an author. He's going to talk about the upcoming presidential inauguration on Wednesday and some stories of past inaugurations. Wanted to point out a few things based on what happened at the Capitol. We do have some local interest in the rioters that went in and broke into the Capitol building. I noticed immediately, well, no, a couple of days after people were watching the videos that were readily available online, the ones that were uploaded, the ones that were recording themselves, breaking the law. So they go into the Capitol building, they film, and 
one person a little, they must've had an Eagle eye on them. They noticed someone wearing a blues hat. So they said, there's gotta be some people local here. Well, this is different. There's another photograph. It says federal authorities are looking for a Sullivan, Missouri woman who was accused of storming the Capitol on January 6th. You can find this at KMOX.com. 20 year old Emily Hernandez. And apparently has been identified as a person holding the speaker uh, of the House, Nancy Pelosi's broken nameplate during the riot. She's accused of knowingly engaging in disorderly conduct to disrupt government business. And they're looking for it there, too. It says that the video was taken. She was wearing a yellow cap and a St. Louis blue stocking cap. But I think this is actually a different person. I've seen different angles and videos of this. So now we have at least one person of local interest. And I saw this, too. And this is going to be a wild one because tomorrow on the show, we're going to have Tom Sullivan join us. He's the watchdog over in the county. He's so good at paying attention to politics. But with a suit that has been filed, who actually holds the chair in the county council in St. Louis County Council? Part of the thing is that they changed the law or they changed the way that they handled the vote. But should it have applied to someone that term ended anyway. And that's the big debate. There could be a lot of fireworks tomorrow. Councilwoman Rita Heard Days was chosen as the new chair, but there's going to be lawsuits to fight that because they believe that vote was illegal. It's just a wild, wild mess. You would think that if the charter says your term is over, then when your term is over, you don't get a vote. But somehow, a term of a councilwoman's vote continued on and she became chair. And a lot of people are saying that was improper, that it goes against the county charter. That's what the, is around the lawsuit. How will county politics actually get anything done in the interim? And since there's going to be a meeting tomorrow, I, I don't know how that's going to go. I don't know how much disruption this will be. I wonder if they can continue. She's not, even if the chair stays the way it goes and there's no changeover or whatever, um, there's not going to be enough support to get anything done. It's just going to, cause further division ain't that sam page's county council that he just dreams of huh more division to sneak by the things he wants i don't know could that be it well i think that tom sullivan will give us a pretty good insight into tomorrow's uh, meeting when he joins us on the show philip goodrich uh historian is going to look at the upcoming presidential inauguration looking forward to having him on the show don't go anywhere this is overnight america kmox all-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.